or just we just we just figure it out when we do it. We just we go where the conversation takes us. We should just we should just I'm sorry, we should just go. I'm sorry, I'm really it's my own fault, but okay. Hey, it's uh, turn, uh let's start again. Just because I saw you, your voice was uh, your mouth was open and it was like it was like hey, yeah. like you anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Hey, it's the end of June, or near the end of June, and this is Glop Culture, and I'm John Podhoritz in New York, elsewhere in New York, Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, And in Washington, D.C., the epicenter of the largest uh, political, cultural, and social change of the last half century, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hey, John. I'm actually doing this from CNN. And wow. the, the scope of the uh, political change going on made me very tardy in getting here because everyone's walking back or to something with signs protesting or celebrating something oh, um, we should say that we're we're taping this uh just uh five hours after the uh, release of the supreme court decision the dobbs case that um that overturned uh roe v wade and uh uh so far in my block here uh in, in on the upper west side of manhattan uh, uh nothing much is uh there are no signs of the uh of the impending apocalypse but you, the destruction you of all hear, rights. You can't hear the helicopters up there. I can't. You know. I mean. I read the. I read the dissenting opinion that says that women no longer have any rights uh, in America. So uh, okay. I would think that there would be more pushback, uh, maybe on the streets. But so far, I nothing. woke up. Uh, you know, um, I heard the helicopters early this morning, and um, mm-hmm. I kind of had to climb up on the roof and look at them. They were, they were prepared for. Uh, they kind of. You can kind of maybe still hear. Them. They're prepared for the. Uh, I guess there's going to be. A, they all gather. This is what well, they always do. They gather at Washington Square Park. And they walk up for that. I gotta say, as this podcast's resident feminist ally, I am just horrified by the toxic masculinity of this conversation so far. It's uh, very toxic. It's extremely yeah. masculine, and I just like to point How out time it is. <laughs> I just like to point out that the one really retrogressive feature of the of the overturning of the of, of Roe v. Wade is not that we're returning back to the back alley abortions that. We, Teddy Kennedy warned us would be uh, America's future if Bob Bork got on the Supreme Court, um, but rather that the word "woman" oh, is now, right now allowed back again into public discourse. Yeah. Woman is no so longer hot right we referring now. to birthing people or <laughs> menstruating people or anything like that. Nancy Pelosi said women's rights are being curtailed. Biden said women's rights are being curtailed. All of that. It's a, a woman woke up this morning. Uh, you know, a woman will go to bed tonight with fewer rights than she had this morning. That kind of thing. So I guess we're no longer in the um, uh, a man can have a a man can have a vagina. Uh, that's been tempered. That's been temporarily suspended during the current crisis. So here's a here's an honest media thumbsuckery question: How long? And you know, it's either going to be the New York Times, the Washington Post. But how long before one of them, well, I don't know. I mean, Salon probably already has one on the works. But how long is it before the Washington Post and the New York Times runs the, all of this talk about women stuff is problematic piece? Because you know it's coming. Oh, yeah. I don't know that it's coming. See, I think that this is a very interesting cultural development because um, it is going to sweep away uh, a lot of this weird ancillary stuff that has been making people uncomfortable yeah. and it's focus get, things on the actual central cultural war question 
of the last half century again. No more do we need to go look and expand our frontiers to find wild new rights to assert right. when right. this right that existed and was taken away now has to be either defended, pushed forward, whatever, by liberals. They got to focus. They well, can't, just, the, be, they can't just be scattershot all over the your, place. Your mind share is now going to be taken over with really, really kind of grasping who your state assemblyman is. That actually matters now. Like it, everything yeah, but, got local. But that's fantastic. So you, you can't, you know, so yeah, I know it's great. Yeah, but it's funny. Earlier this week, Open Secrets, the the tr- transparency people, um, issued a report. Um, I can't quite accuse them of lamenting, but they were certainly raising concerns. And Politico had this write up about it, and keep on this is before the abortion decision that because there's so much gridlock in Washington, lobbyists are now turning to states to lobby for policies because that's where you can actually get things done. <laughs> and like, like, look, I, I, you can be for or against gridlock. It depends what you're gridlocked about. Yada, yada, yada. That is but, literally a federalist paper, but that's like, <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work. That's, these kinds of things are supposed to go there. And so like, like I, between the, between the gun decision and the abortion decision, and also this, this general Washington gridlock crap, like all of a sudden state legislatures matter. Right. And that's, to me, you know, I, I'm not, that doesn't mean that everything they do is going to be good, but as a generic proposition about civics, that's really good. Well, we should yeah, talk yeah. about the two as Publius, different... As Publius wrote in Federalist 274, <laughs> if you're hiring a consultant on K Street, it's probably better to spread some of that money to Sacramento and Albany and uh, Austin and other states. Well, really, we should and, and have more that. of a messaging campaign federal on the federal level. <laughs> Uh, liberals suddenly got concerned after January 6th and after, you know, the uh, attack on Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state by Trump about the vote counts that, you know, conservatives and Trumpians were uh, trying to get themselves elected to heretofore obscure state and local positions so they could be in a place where they could affect the vote counts in 2024, right? Right. So suddenly they are focused like a laser for the first time in a long time on state and local races. And of course, conservatives have been focused on state and local races since the beginning of the Obama administration, where they just mowed down. They just went, they went absolutely hog wild winning more than a thousand state and local races during the Obama years, clearing out old democratic brush from state legislatures, 99 state legislatures in the United States um, and, you know, all sorts of mayors and things like Uh that. And now liberals are going to coming back to where they were in the seventies when they understood after their mobilizations around Watergate, that they needed to grab hold of political power at the local level yeah. Hey, and this look, is a government. real fight. This is this is like what you well, want yes. in a democracy is people caring the about the politics that are closest to them. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. this is the politics that are closest to them. And, you know, so, people, conservatives paying attention to school boards for the first time, right. you know, stuff like that. Like this is a very this is a very serious moment. In nature which, is healing, healing, John. Nature is healing. There we go. Nature is healing. Gets a glop. Uh, always toxic. Occasionally masculine. <laughs> I like it. I like. I it. have a. I was just telling um, Jonah earlier. I, I have a. I have a. Uh, for all of the financial, we have a lot of financial kind of wizards who listen to Glop, uh, and some of them are in the venture business. Even um, I have a venture. I have a venture I want backed. 
It's a uh, Uber, but for vasectomies. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about Uber, but for people being transported from states in which abortion has been outlawed to states oh, yeah. that will actually pay for your abortion if you come from out of state. Yeah, but the branding is the yeah. new Uber better wrong branding for that. They're going to call it like the Underground Railroad or something. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. We, can, we, yeah. we have a branding person who's going to come and do that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. that's true. That. Right. So, um, so we want to get off this, um, you know, it'll be excessively it'll hot to topic. A, I know, but it has to have one, one name. It'll be like Border, B-O-R-T-R. new media names um i i I have a good change of topic for you i apologize so um um i have been uh, i I am not a watergateologist um but uh um i get vexed when i see John Dean constantly on TV is the conscience of the nation. And, you know, for 20 years, every single 30 years, every single Republican scandal, he proclaims um, this is worse than Watergate. And no one ever asks, no no interviewer ever says to him, you know, don't you have a vested interest in saying that? The scandal that you went to jail for um, right. isn't as bad as the thing we're talking about now, right? And, it's like Charlie um, Manson saying, Carl, Bernstein, what, 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 Carl yeah. Bernstein is saying the same thing. What no, about I know, what but it's it's worse than Nixon? Yeah, yeah. But, but here's my thing. It's like, um, there's a very strong argument. Uh, John, uh, James Rosen made it in Pages of Commentary in 2014 that Dean basically copped a plea and worked with prosecutors to cover up his only his role as actually a mastermind of Watergate rather than just uh, unwitting accomplice or whatever. And that's never pointed out either. And so when I saw Joe Scarborough the other day saying that Raffensperger and, and Bowers and, and Sterling were like the John Deans of their age, it really offends me because those guys actually yeah. said no to a criminal scheme when it mattered. <laughs> Right. They didn't participate in and say, hey, this has gone too far or this could hurt my career. And so I wrote this scathing uh, G file newsletter on Wednesday for members only at the dispatch. Subscribe now. And by the way. And then this morning I come into CNN and. uh, Oh, no. I get oh, no. back from makeup and there's John Dean in the in the green room. Oh, oh that's weird. <laughs> oh, the nightmare, it, the that, green room nightmare. Yeah. Did you guys? The what did you? There goes did your you, Washington cocktail party. <laughs> did you? You, you more Did you, you make things a, uncomfortable a, at the cocktail party? Was it a thing? Did it? Was it? A no. Thing? So he when I when I came back from the makeup room and I didn't stay there long because I didn't want to talk to him. Uh, he kind of glowered at me or he seemed to be glowering at me. So I assumed he knew something about it. But then when I went and did my hit on the morning show, he was waiting uh in the wings to do the neck to go on to the set and he was like jonah i didn't recognize you with the gray hair good to see you and he shakes my hand or whatever and i said little shade i said okay so hello he and he clearly hadn't read it so so he hadn't read it and now it's time for a goldberg family anecdote (laughs) (laughs) i not a member of the goldberg family i'm going to tell a goldberg Goldberg family anecdote involving the dean family Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. goldberg family and the dean family Jonah's mother, Lucianne, uh, herself a um, a writer of um, plummy fiction, shall mm-hmm. we say? Yeah. Plummy uh-huh. 1970s, 1980s fun fiction. The term of art in publishing at the time was called glitz. Glitz fiction mm-hmm. of the of really, really immensely fun variety. But she not only wrote these novels herself, I think there were three of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but she ghost wrote some. Yes. And one of the novels that she ghost wrote was called, I believe it was called Washington Wives. And it was by Maureen Dean. Correct. Wife of John Dean, whom people who are really not as old as us will not know, was kind of a really cute, apple-cheeked blonde very attractive, sat behind him when he was at the hearings and became kind of like an object of fascination for, for people. And she got this book contract to write a novel. A lot of people were writing sort of, not, you know, sort of Romana Clay novels about Watergate in Washington. And of course, Maureen Dean wasn't a writer. So Lucienne was engaged to write Maureen Dean's memoir, uh, novel. Right. And um, the first, and Maureen Dean was booked for the Today Show. First big booking when the book came out. <laughs> Maureen goes on the Today Show with probably with Barbara Walters. Sitting there, Barbara Walters says, now in, I see here in, you know, in the third chapter, you have thus and such going on. And Maureen Dean said, I do? Because she <laughs> hadn't read, Had read the it. book. Yeah. She hadn't read the book, and I think the book tour was canceled, and that was the story of Washington Wives by Maureen Dean by way of Lucienne Goldberg, who wrote a uh, book that um, apparently its own author couldn't bother to She read. can remember all of the scenes. My favorite of those books was um, The Mystery, written by Marilyn Quayle, and the, uh, the novel, and with the title. Oh, and her sister. She and her sister wrote her it sister, together, yeah. I believe. And the title was Embrace the Serpent. <laughs> which i i don't think that's appropriate choice. for a good christian woman i'm I sorry i found it an unusual choice <laughs> <laughs> well you know i but don't remember, know like, like they, they were into remember this john thing that, that... ehrlichman wrote novels you remember there sure, were there was sure. a john ehrlichman novel i mean there was a lot of weird stuff published interestingly there's all this stuff now about how the trump books are coming out and nobody is buying them. nobody's buying them yeah mm -hmm. Uh, that uh, Kellyanne's book came out, sold 35,000 copies. She probably got a couple million dollars for it. You know, what sold, Barr's book sold 2 million copies. Uh, a couple, but like these kind of books that try is, is to... Is Barr's um, book considered not a success? Bar, Barr's book? It, the Barr's book is, is not a success. success. Yeah, it was a bizarre... A I, I would not have predicted it because it didn't please anybody. But, but it but it got a huge send off. Yeah. There was like a television was special no with Lester Holt. Yeah, they, right, exactly. But the people who publish these books trying to walk the line, like Kellyanne, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of clearly. I haven't read it, but I read <clears> stuff <throat> about it, and there's clearly kind of a lot of weirdly salacious or like uncomfortable stuff about her marriage and stuff like that, which should have somehow sold it. But um, nobody wants to read these books, yeah, and it's like, I think it's, it's in like part because. Yeah, just yesterday, just a. I think people are just, just tired of it. It just feels like it. You can't, you can't. Uh, there's no. There's not a bottomless amount of attention and willingness to engage in that kind of like interest. It just. I don't know if someone eventually wrote, you ask too much of the audience. If some Trump, you know, if Kaylee McEnany <clears throat> wrote "Ride the Worm," um, <laughs> <laughs> it might sell. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, ride the worm. That's that's that's. Well, is that the a serpent? Ride the worm. Yeah, you know, you know. sandworm. Yeah, love or... the sausage. You know, <laughs> Kaylee McEnany is right now is right now probably working on a book, and if she's smart, 
and she did go to Harvard Law School, I believe, uh, she is probably doing so sitting in an X chair. Because you know, many of us spend more time every oh, day in our office go. chair so than in our cars and beds. Nice. Thank so, you. you know, it's important to invest in the right chair to spend those hours with the right level of support and comfort to get your Trump memoir out and get the most productivity out of your day. Because the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, DVL, offers you the ultimate customized support for your lower back. And the X chair can even give you a massage or heat you up or cool you down with its LMX temperature regulation. And now, thanks to X chair's new three FS360 armrest, you can even adjust your armrest to the perfect position. That's why you'll love your X chair. X chair prices will increase on July 11th. You hear me? They're going up. So you still have time to get an X-Chair at current prices. Shop now. Beat the price increase. Go to xchairglop.com. Now, that's the letter X, the word chair, G-L-O-P.com, or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. X-Chair has a theory-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairglop.com. So, Rob, you have a piece in the uh, Just Out Commentary magazine available yeah, at commentary.org. And I do. Um, you explore to some extent the yeah. conundrum. Well, first of all, Go ahead. Yes. I just want to say that I, I, I will say this because you won't. Uh, my, my, the most recent commentary pieces I have written making predictions, they have all come true. That is a true. A year ago, I said... I would have said it if I remembered that that was yeah, the case. Yeah, there's no but... way that Netflix is not going to have ads advertised. They're all going to do it. And boom, it came to pass. People It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Shut up. They jeered at me. I was scorned. Uh, and now I'm being carried through the streets on people's shoulders. <laughs> and there's this general kind of... Uh, I wouldn't call it worship, but uh, understanding of my gifts. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I wrote. Um, uh, it's just interesting to think about, like, what you, you just just focus a little bit on, on Top Gun, the phenomenon of Top Gun, which is really, I mean, I had dinner with an old friend of mine last night who's a major uh, show business figure, ran a studio, a lot of other things. And uh, all they want to talk, all people want to talk about is Top Gun because it's a 36 year old sequel starring a 59-year-old star who, by the way, was as close to canceled as you could kind of get before cancellation. You know, this guy, Tom Cruise, was laughed at and made fun of, and people thought he was dumb and jumped on Oprah's couch. People when he jumped on Oprah's couch, people said, is his career over? Well, apparently it's not over. Not only is it not over, it's probably the most robust career uh, currently in show business because he brought a franchise, 36-year-old franchise back, insisted to be released into the theaters, which there was a great amount of struggle with that at the studio. It will. It is Top Gun Maverick. People love it. It's sort of pro-America summer movie, just like in the old days. And um, and it's going to make a billion dollars, and it might actually make a billion dollars before Halloween, which is amazing. It has no superheroes in it. It has no franchise characters, really, to speak of. It has no, uh, you know science fiction element it has it just was just a, it's just a feel-good movie so if you look at like um, look at uh, the top things happening in america today you have yellowstone on tv kind of and you have a lot of money and you have a um you have tv comedy broadcast tv comedies doing really well one set in a school uh and one set in an abbott old elementary one, yeah abbott elementary and one is a, a, a set in an old house in in, in new england uh, or connecticut uh, it's a ghost story um and then you look at uh What's happening in movies? Uh, it's like 1986. So We're actually here's 1986 again. 
So Top Gun is particularly interesting because this, I believe, will be its fourth weekend. And yeah, um, as as with all movies that become phenomena, the thing is that it's really not, its run is not ending. Um, it is likely no. to go back to number one at the box office this weekend because it's up against the god-awful Elvis biopic, which I saw last night. And spare, save yourselves. Do not see this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is terrible. Anyway, that's the big new product, and uh, and there's also a horror movie, and it's and also uh, the Jurassic it, Park movie kind of bombed, right? I mean, it was supposed to no, be no, no, no. Right? It's uh, no, it's done very, very well. Has but it? Jurassic, it, it, it did not have a huge drop. It's very much going to be like a. It's a. It counts as a blockbuster. It'll make a billion dollars worldwide. But Top Gun is on its way to making six hundred million dollars domestic. No non-superhero, non-blah-blah-blah movie has made this kind of money in close to 20 years since The Passion of the Christ. Before it, American Sniper. The... So in the 21st century, you have Passion of the Christ, American Sniper, and Top Gun as the only huge blockbuster... Right. You know, grossing movies... That aren't franchises, superheroes, right. or fantasy, or animated. I do want to push what back do they all slightly. Have in I want to push back. I, I, I don't want yeah. to steal your point, but I want to push back slightly on this. It's not a superhero movie. It might as well be a superhero movie. I mean, Tom Cruise makes no mistakes. He is super. It, maybe well, not. Maybe, oh, oh yeah. he makes a mistake. The movie begins with him crashing a plane. That's just because he's cool. Right. Okay. I mean, but and, I'm just saying but that's not what that's away mean. from a, a jet going Mach or 10. is he or is he walking away? Because, uh-huh. you know, there's a well, whole metaphysical theory. That's not that's gun. not what that's not I as know. a business matter. That's not what you mean by a, a, a right. I know, I know. it. I mean, it doesn't rely no. on a you know, yeah. superhero. And not thing. only is it not a special effects movie, though, I'm sure there are plenty of special effects. Oh, woven tons, in. Yeah. But but the thing that is its value added is this you are there footage of what it's like to be in a cockpit of a high performance navy jet um where they put in all these cameras and things are going on and it's kind of they they shot 600 hours of footage in order you know getting but rights it, to do things that no one has ever done before and that stuff yeah. is just but if you could dig up jaw dropping yeah if you would you could dig up, uh, you know, any movie mogul, studio chief, cigar chomper from, you know, 1965 and before and say just what you said. Hey, you know, what, you know what's doing really great in the box office since the turn of the century, you know, AJ or whatever his name is, uh, Passion of the Christ. He'd say, yeah, yeah, sure. The biblical movies. We make two of those a year. And also <laughs> Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. It's a fighter thing. The guy flying around and shooting bad guys down. It's like military. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And then American Sniper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Like a post-war kind of thing, you know, integrating back into the site. Yeah, that, that's right. Yes. What else? That's it? That's you, 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 you rose me. You resurrected me from the grave to tell me what I already knew. But and you're wrong. Interesting that, you're wrong. What? I'm now going to say you're wrong, even though you predict everything correctly. What do these three movies have in common? In the 21st century, they are of unique appeal. You know, we talk about four quadrants. Right. There's this classic. No, you're right, you're right, there you're are right, four you're quadrants, right? right? Uh, men, women, young and old. Th- those are the four quadrants. This is a movie that had. These are movies that have particular appeal to conservatives who are not who who are underserved in yeah, I, I, in popular I agree. culture. And when you hit them in a sweet spot. 
and people Ooh. try. It's not Says like they they don't try, and they go to see everything. Everybody they see the superhero movies and stuff like that. You hit the sweet spot with a movie like Top Gun or American Sniper. And they go again and again and again, and it is like hitting the cash register button. No, no, I, I, I don't disagree with and you. And this there. is I, part I, of your thesis in the piece that you did for commentary. You should. Yeah, you yeah. Should no, no, I, I don't disagree on. with that. I just mean in in general, the definition of somebody at this point who, as a spirit, really from a show business taste point of view, who could be described as a conservative uh, or even center right is now so enormous. It's really a description of somebody who's not actively woke. Um, and so that's why I find so, so cr- hey, look, one of the things we, I talk about with a bunch of people, I mean, I get emails from people now that I, that I didn't even know felt this way saying, shouldn't we start something that does this? How much would it cost? That's what I spent all last night talking about. What would it cost to start an actual, not a conservative studio, because those are just awful. You know that this movie's the terrible. media thing, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, no, just one that isn't right, isn't trying to give people moral and political homework, but is in fact just trying to make you like you go to the air conditioned theater like you used to and eat popcorn and kind of get transported into something that makes you feel good. Like, wh- what would it cost? It would cost a lot of money, but it wouldn't cost that much money. Yeah, I mean, considering all the money that people that right-wing billionaires throw away on stupid stuff that ends up being, you know, going to some think tank library. Hey, I mean, hey, you hey. could actually make a, you know what I mean? You could actually make a lot of money. This is a way to make a lot of money. That, yeah. But, and, but yeah. part of the, part of the brilliance of the idea is that like, you know, mine and pods, one of our favorite movies, smoking the bandit. Right. Isn't a right-wing movie. No, but it's, it's not a woke movie and you could make all right. sorts of just fair that, tells body jo- you know mel brooks movies today you know would be right. considered you know problematic and right wing when in fact they're just sort of silly movies and i agree it, it, there's an enormous enormous market opportunity just to make non-woke movies i mean a uh, uh we don't have to get into what happened in the, the washington post this is the reporter uh, uh, and she uh, dave weigel weigel how do you pronounce the name weigel 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 he uh, retweeted a joke and she found the joke so offensive she kind of had a mental breakdown and tweeted about it nonstop for seven days until they finally had to fire her um because she went insane but not the before they suspended the, him for a month which was ridiculous. not right exactly right right but the, the, the joke is this all women are bi you just have to figure out whether it's sexual or polar. Um, it's not a bad joke. It's kind of a funny joke. I don't. I wouldn't go out of the scene on that joke, but it certainly is a. You know, I could that joke is a funny joke on the way. Um, but the idea that that caused someone's emotional nervous breakdown suggests that there's a room in the media. Industry for a a place where that joke would actually get told. Okay, I want you to talk about what that place might be, but before we do that, let's talk about how, with the rising cost of living, piling student debt, and the inordinate cost of buying a house, living on autopilot can leave your kids or partner 
with a huge financial burden. On that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health and an application. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There are no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time and get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' best life insurance 2021 list. So go to ladderlife.com slash glop today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash glop, ladderlife.com slash glop, and we thank Ladder for sponsoring the glop podcast. Uh, so Rob, uh, you want some people with some, uh, with some scratch to put their money where their mouth is. Right. Right. I mean, I have like a larger argument I make with like, you know, right wing billionaires who, you know, you have a conversation with some of them and they're like, well, what about this? What about that? And it's really ultimately about like, well, if you did this, could you get it on Tucker? (laughs) <laughs> like that's all they really want to do they want to get it on Laura or tucker or something or like or, or, or preach to the to the converted right you don't have to do that i mean like the 52 percent of the audience is completely unserved so they're they're the broadcast tv cable tv streamers they've left that audience absolutely unserved and we know they have because we're looking you know tom cruise is going to become a bajillionaire again um because of top gun so so what I'm looking for is just somebody who's like, oh, I see. I see that the, it's a really simple proposition, and it's a money-making one. You have a very, very simple screen of projects you back. Are they, are they generally pro-American, not a whitewash, but an unvarnished story? But are they American stories uh, with sort of basic American values? I mean, um, and, you know, look, the, one of the wokest guys around is Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he made the most patriotic work of theater American art, I think, in 60, 70, 100 years. You know, you, you just that he doesn't hate America. That's really That's really how you start. You say, well, I kind of like America. And then if those projects are the projects that go, and those are the projects that you have the best chance of reaching a large audience. And you're not going for like the 0.01 share or the 2 million people accumed over a month. You're going for an old, old-fashioned 20 share. We know those exist. Um, so why aren't we going for them? You know, it's interesting you talk about these uh, these shares. And um, I went back, I, I've, I've written this uh, review of the Elvis movie. Uh, just to remind you what it was like when we had sort of a, a kind of a monoculture. And some of the things that people have discovered over, the, over time that uh, they didn't really know. Uh, in 1979, in February sweeps months, 1979, NBC, ABC, and CBS went to war on a Sunday night, biggest viewing night of the year. Uh, CBS put on Gone with the Wind, of course, the most popular movie ever made. NBC counter-programmed with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which had won an Oscar three years earlier and had been a staggering box office success. ABC didn't have anything, didn't know what to do, but uh, they'd made this uh, movie in 30 days with this uh, unheralded former Disney child star named Kurt Russell, a movie directed by a 
obscure horror movie director named John Carpenter biopic subject Elvis uh, Elvis's rise to fame Elvis it's 1968 he feels like he's lost a step he's making a special he's worried that he doesn't have it anymore special comes out he famous NBC Christmas special becomes a huge sensation Elvis is back on top and it tells the story of his life from the perspective of that evening right when the dust cleared when the dust settled after this night of sort of like pulling out all the long guns to try to win elvis won elvis got a uh, 27 share gone with the wind got a 25 share and uh cuckoo's nest got a 23 share so elvis was watched by like 30 million people gone with the wind by like 25 million people uh, and uh, some like that, and uh, and Cuckoo's Nest by like 24 million people. And I say, uh, that was 18 months after Elvis's death. And I can tell you, living, you know, as a teenager then, when I was in teenager, who was actually in college, but um, that uh, in New York, in central media circles and places like that, nobody yeah. knew blow all about Elvis. Elvis died in 77. He died on a, you know, died in a bathroom in Las Vegas. Did he really? Did he die on the toilet? Nobody knows. <laughs> it's a well, rumor. Somebody but knows. He dies. He's 42 years old. He hadn't been in a movie in years. He hadn't re- released a recording in years. Elvis Schmelvis. Who's Elvis? <laughs> who, 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 knew, who knew Elvis was anyway? Elvis Schmelvis was his third you know, movie. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> Steely Dan. That's what you want. You don't want Elvis. You know, it's, you know, punk rock. Stuff like that. And I say, if you sort of think about this night and you think about what, what we learned about Elvis, that he was this iconic figure, that he was, that he had achieved a kind of immortality in death, that Graceland became the most visited house in America, that it's 45 years after his death, he is still the number one selling solo artist who has ever lived. And this was largely invisible to people on the coasts who had no idea right. what Elvis meant to those people. And who are those people? Those were Southern Democrats who went to Reagan. They were white working class people. Yeah, but presumably. Grandson, grandchildren yeah. voted for Trump. Right, but presumably, it is the silent majority. Yeah, but presumably those people would also have tuned into Gone with the Wind. So what you're really saying is that Graceland was the new Terra. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting perspective. I'm trying to do hard-headed cultural analysis here. Wow. And, and I just want to know whether he died on the toilet. I really only want to know Nobody he died knows whether he died on the oh, toilet. No, look, somebody look, walked it, in. If he died the way, on the toilet, someone got this, him off Cass the toilet. Elliot, Mama Cass. <laughs> and that would have Mama been, Cass I don't want that did job. not choke on a sandwich. It turns out that yeah. is a mess. It was a hot dog? <laughs> Which is no, not a she, did embra- she, 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 she did not embrace the hot dog. She died of a drug overdose. She didn't die choking on a sandwich. Poor uh, Mama Cass, well, thirty-two years that, old. Elvis that? was forty-two. It was forty-two. He was a young man, really. Yeah, uh, and he died on the toilet. Not good. <laughs> and he was in anyway, Vegas. The movie was, he, was he the Las Vegas Hilton? The international. The international. Yeah, it was the Las Vegas Hilton. It was like a that three had like three. It was like a weird little triangle. Yes. Um, yeah. shape. Yeah. Yeah. Which and it's kind of off um, the strip too. I recall. It was the first major hotel off the strip. As I learned last night, watching the interminable Elvis movie directed by Baz Luhrmann. Did he die I on the really, toilet in the movie? He does not die on a toilet in the movie. Because mostly you watch, they spend this movie watching Tom Hanks's makeup. 
because he is made up to look like he weighs 70 pounds more than he does as Colonel Tom Parker. And he does this weird accent and he talks like this. And then his jowls are like shaking. And you're like, oh my God, why, you know, like this is so distracting. Like Tom, Tom Hanks is under there. Like you shouldn't, he shouldn't be playing a major part with so much makeup on. It's too distracting. It's a terrible movie. The Kurt Russell movie, as I recall, I mean, I haven't seen it it's in four decades. Well, it's pretty good. Great, and he was amazing. And that's what made Kurt Russell into a, that Kurt Russell became a star because of that performance, which was so striking. And, you know, whoever came up with the amazing casting idea, you know, it's like the same person who figured out to cast Sally Field as Sybil, like, you know, people that you would never give a major part to in anything. And suddenly it turns out they're fantastic. So I just always, wanted, always the great story. I just want to say stories. for Rob's benefit that in the world of venture capitals, which you're clearly just, you know, like you're like one of these CNBC guys talking up his book. You clearly oh, want. I'm, I'm plugged yeah. in. I'm but, plugged um, into that world, as you know. Even if Elvis didn't die on the toilet, at minimum, what they would the little terminology they would use in that world is he 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 died toilet adjacent. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So there's that. Uh, he had a, he had an unsatisfactory exit. Yeah, it's like my uh, adjacent Not is a great. great uh, Jackie Mason used to make a, a joke about this about about Beverly Hills. It's like if you live in Los Angeles and you're and you're unsuccessful, you say. I live just adjacent to Beverly Hills. I'm just yeah. adjacent. <laughs> people actually use that all the time. I know. Well, the, 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 well there's this the, neighborhood, Beverly Hills adjacent. It's where the Four Seasons Hotel is on Doheny, right? right? I mean, it's, it's, it's called the Four adjacent. Seasons. That's called the Four Seasons Hotel at Beverly Hills. At Beverly Hills. Because it's just at it. Not quite in it. And there's also a, re, uh, a neighborhood there called Beverly Hills Post Office, which is not Beverly Hills. It's L.A., but you use the Beverly Hills Post Office. They go, I live in Beverly Hills Post Office. Has anybody seen, has either of you seen Beverly Hills Cop since like it came out? Yeah, I, I rewatched it not too long ago. How, how is it? Uh, it you know, I mean, you, 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 you see the seams a little more than like when you were seeing it in the mm-hmm. theater kind of thing. But it's a perfect example of what Rob was talking about earlier about just making a non-woke movie that's fun. Um, you know, there's, I mean, there's lots of stuff in there that people annoying people who call problematic but it's, it's still a funny good movie and it's funny we t- i think we talked about this before there was a period in the late 80s to mid 90s where they made good funny action movies um you know midnight run running scared um 48 hours beverly hills cop you know and um i don't know why that genre just sort of disappeared Good question, because because they, yeah. they it got swallowed up by the superheroes. I really I really Probably. think that like, could be yeah. Like basically, right. also, Thor, like, Thor and Thor and Chris Pratt are now the is are now the buddy cops. Yeah, you know Chris right. Evans and Robert Downey Jr. were the buddy cops. Like that's kind of what kind of what happened. I will you say this: that, yeah. okay, good. You could also outsource at that time. At that time, they're outsourcing comedy to the people writing it and directing it. So. The, the idea was you need a buddy comedy and then you could write a buddy comedy spec. Um, and if you got it in the right hands, they would make the movie. They wouldn't rethink it. They would just say, okay, well, no, that makes sense. Two cops doing this thing and then they do this thing and that's fine. Now they're like, well, who are these cops? I've never met them before. Are they from another <laughs> movie? The uh, Groundlings used to do this great thing where um, they would, they, they did a uh, improv uh, but they would do it an improv scene, but they'd also have a, somebody playing the focus group, the network TV focus group person watching the scene. And so the first, so the begin the scene, a guy would walk in and say, uh, 
you know, nice day today. And then the focus group is like, I don't know who that person is. Who is that person? What kind of day is it? I don't get it. I'm completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly how they managed to do. And that's so like you had the people actually read scripts back then. They really did. I know this sounds like an old man complaining, but it's true. They read them and they'd say, oh, again, yeah, it's a little bit flat in the second part and needs this and that, and, you know, but they read them. And if they worked, then they would, then they would, they would, they would say, let's go cast it. And they would send out like, you know, legitimate offers to actors to play the part in the show, in the movie they were going to make, which meant they put money on the table, which was you know, a sign that they're really going to make it. So that's all gone. I mean, people don't do that. They, they need more ornaments on the tree to go forward. So I want to pay tribute to someone who was in Beverly Hills Cop because he's been in things in the last month, 40 years on, so fantastic. And he doesn't quite get the the credit that he deserves. And that's Paul Reiser who played Eddie. He's great in that. And in aliens. He's fantastic in aliens. Right. right. So he is in two things this month, two new street, relatively new streaming things this month. He's on for the second go round in the fourth. He's in stranger things as the guy who runs the, runs the program that surface telekinetic kids, uh, and um, is absolutely delightful to watch, as he always was, as he was from the moment we saw him in Diner, where he is basically the Barry Levinson stand-in model, the guy who does the whole speech about how he doesn't like the word nuance. It's not a word he likes, the word nuance, or he likes the word nuance. I can't remember. He doesn't, doesn't like the word moist, but he likes the word nuance. And, he's, <laughs> and so he's in Stranger Things playing this kind of avuncular guy. And then there is this Amazon Prime series called The Boys, which is this very violent, very satirical, very brilliant in a lot of ways show about crazy superheroes, a world in which superheroes are essentially like run by Disney. And they are, they're the huge, they're the biggest celebrities in the world and they're all psychopaths. And Paul Reiser shows up on one episode this season playing a kind of combination of robert evans and swifty lazar like an an old timey hollywood agent only he's the pr guy he was the pr guy for the superheroes 40 or 50 years ago and he's in one scene for 10 minutes and if i could give him a nobel prize for this scene i would he is so fantastic it's episode very good five and and it's also Um, I'll, i'll 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 do that i'll watch that it's it's just like every word out of his mouth is it's also a brilliantly written scene because it's a guy who is reflecting on his past as a hotshot Hollywood guy in the seventies and eighties who was like you know making it with Shannon Tweed at the Playboy Mansion you know Love references it. like that and then all the young cast members of the boy are like who is he talking about anyway he is fantastic he, he, and he, he was great played... in the Kaminsky method and yeah, he is he... just he great. played he the, great. the lawyer. I think it was Liberace's lawyer in Behind the Candelabra or something. When, when Liberace yeah. was Michael uh, Douglas Michael, and yeah. and and um, Scott Thorsten, his uh, adopted son. Right, it was Matt and, Damon. It was yeah. Matt Damon. And at the, in, the, in the when they're doing the kind of settlement, because I guess Scott Thorsten, Susan, he plays a uh, uh, Reiser plays Liberace's lawyer has to go through the various things that scott thorson got as a gift and they're great because they're like just 
like it's just they're really your classic gifts from Liberace. Like, and so Mr. Liberace gave you several rings. Can you describe the rings? Was one of them had a giant opal surrounded by pearls? Yes. Okay. And apparently he also gave you some furs. Was there a fox fur? And, <laughs> and Damon's like, yes, there was the fox fur. And it was trimmed. And, and I don't know, somehow Reiser just does it like he's just, he's a lawyer just thinking, God, this is the weirdest day I've had in a long time, but I'm just going to get right through it. It was wonderful. He's a good actor. You know who anyway, else was in a... Beverly Hills Cop? Who? Jonathan Banks, the guy who plays uh, Mike oh, yeah. Urban oh, God. in um, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. And he was a great thugoon type. Sure. He was also on the TV show Wise Guy, where in a very underappreciated. Oh yeah, yeah. Role. He was like the side. He was the he was the guy at the desk, right? right. He's Wasn't like the, he the guy that the the Wise Guy called into. You know, when he was so yeah. Deep but undercover. The guy at the desk was like in a wheelchair and just ran yeah. a switchboard. But like he was like his handler, like who would like run interference for him. And, oh yeah, and right. um, I, 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 he hasn't been in a lot of things, but yeah, I just think he, I, I think he's fantastic and Better Call Saul and 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 yeah, he's good. Bad. You know, the now, amazing I'm, story. So Beverly Hills Cop was directed by this guy named Martin Brest, who made directed that. Then he directed uh, Midnight Run, which is like one of the best films of the 1980s. Right. Then he made two bombs. He made Meet Joe Black, and then he made Geely, the famous Ben Affleck, right. Jennifer Lopez bomb. Yeah. And he is has disappeared. He has literally disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. He Nobody? is gone. Like he is, he has no footprint on the internet. People, his agents don't know where he is. That people have written articles looking about looking for him and not being able hmm. to find him. He was so humiliated, apparently, by the by the results by Geely? of Geely that he vanished and has never been seen again. Huh. Amazing, kind of weird, He's amazing story. I remember well, one, home, hope, I was, one hopes. One hopes. When I was in college. Uh, I was like in a Harold Bloom, one of the Harold Bloom's classes, and it's like there's twelve of us. And then after, um, after the class, there was like he went to the, some bigger meet. There's a big kind of interview book something or other. We all went there, and so it was Bloom and us and a bunch of other uh, graduate students, and then a bunch of reporters and people, well, not reporters, but like people who literary writers. And I forget who it was. Some well-known literary writer said was asking about um, Thomas Pynchon, saying like. Do you think there's something in the Tom, Thomas Pynchon's just disappearance from uh, the world, just his absolute uh, turning himself into a recluse so that no one even knows what he looks like and no one's ever no one's seen him in 20 years? And Bloom said, what are you talking about? I had dinner with him last night. <laughs> the reporter's like, what? I had dinner with him last night. What are you talking about? I, uh, well, uh, I didn't know that. Like, no, it's a great. I don't even know if it's true or not. But it's such a great response. Like Martin Brest, I, I, I literally had a cup of coffee with him today. <laughs> what was the movie? Maybe if, yeah. I, if I could remember the name of the famous actress, I would be able to remember the movie. Al Pacino plays this guy obsessed with a famous silent era actress, and he works as like a food delivery guy to try and find her. Is this ringing any bells? No. no. Oh, geez. This is going to drive me crazy. Maybe I completely butchered this memory. Wait, which one? Uh, go, keep 
talk amongst okay, yourselves. I'm going to read an ad. You, th- you try to think amongst yourselves, and I'm going to talk to you about Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving without compromising your values. Is cancel culture coming for your charitable dollars? Big banks that sponsor charitable savings accounts or donor-advised funds, as they're formerly called, have a history of slow walking or altogether blocking donations to conservative charities. Charities that have found themselves in the crosshairs of the woke mob include the Family Research Council, the National Review Institute, the National Rifle Association Foundation, Liberty Council, Turning Point USA, and others. Clearly, not every donor-advised fund provider is safe for conservatives, so let Donors Trust help manage your charitable giving. Donors Trust was built with GLOP listeners in mind, people who believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. If you already have a donor-advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps. By calling my friends at Donors Trust, the Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. Partner with the fund that matches your values. To learn more, download their prospectus at www.donorstrust.org slash GLOP. That's www.donorstrust.org to align your giving with your values, visit www.donorstrust.org slash glop. Any luck? No. Any luck in thinking I must, what this I must, is? I must be just... Sounds good. Maybe you should write it. Maybe you and Rob no, should write it. And God. then maybe a studio head of the new studio that Rob wants to start maybe. could, uh, you know... God, it's, I'm looking on could, IMDb. Uh, I don't see it. Just uh, put money on the table for actors to be in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, uh, well, then while you're doing, it, can we? Uh, I know we have to wrap. Can we go go quickly back to um uh the the coming social order? I I I, I what do you? I mean, there's a uh, kind of a slightly burgeoning men's movement on uh, re- having reversible vasectomies. So as you get to be a certain age, you say, okay, well, wait a minute, I'm going to have a vasectomy that's reversible, and then when I'm ready to have children it'll be i will reverse that vasectomy and that is actually becoming much much more viable do you think that's going to be a thing that happens now it is happening i've heard about i i know people i know people late in life fathers who have reversed their vasectomies once they met the you know lemon tart of their their dreams (laughs) you know the kind of person who says this time that way this time i'm really gonna do it right yeah yeah Used to this be like time. you go to a for, go to know, little my, league my, my first set yeah. of kids. Yeah, I just constantly focused on my work, and I wasn't there for them. But now, yeah, now this time when I'm Sebastian 83 years old, and Ophelia I'm going to be there are, for them. I'm, there used to be uh, you could go to any um, you know a little league game or something or a soccer game in kids soccer game in L.A. and you'd see the dads in the stands, and there's like a, most of the there's like for every five dads who are in clearly in their early 30s there's two or three gray-haired dads in their 50s or early 60s they'd say well yeah i have four kids um two of them don't talk to me and then two of them are in preschoolers yeah <laughs> well so um i'm a i'm myself a relatively late in life like my youngest was born when i was 49 so i'm in no position to make fun but one day i had him in the playground uh near my house and there was this little old man toddling around after his grandchild. <laughs> Only it turned out it wasn't his grandchild. It was his child. And it was a little old man. It was Rob Long veteran, Judd Hirsch. Yeah, I know that child. Yeah, I know the, I know the uh, mom. Yeah. Judd Hirsch, who I think was 80. Yeah, probably. <laughs> this, like three-year-old <laughs> kid, he was kind mm-hmm. of, you know hustling along after yeah. in the River Run playground in Riverside Park. 
Uh, I think uh, one of my uh, uh, writer friends said that um, the, the, when they make that into a movie or to a TV show, it should be called Both in Diapers. <laughs> <laughs> that gives a new meaning to the sandwich generation. <laughs> Somehow. Right. So, uh, so I do think we have to wrap, but yeah. um, Jonah... Now that you are like apparently on on CNN every minute, do you have any advanced bookings you can tell people about where they can come and watch you? Um, For like the old days, kind of. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be on the Sunday show, the State of the Union show, and um, and by the time this airs, I'll have been on Jake Tapper's show, The Lead, which I'm leaving here to go do. Um, they keep having me on is to, to, to do like house goy duty where like today i had to defend this morning i had to defend the gun rights decision and now i got to go defend the uh the, the abortion decision. decision yeah it's 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 awkward i don't know if it's awkward it's like, not awkward it's, you it's, know, it's, at least I mean, you're not at least at least you don't have to right. defend trump yeah no week. i mean that's, that's and we of... haven't even talked about that because uh uh if you're not watching the hearings go watch the hearings trump fans within the ambit of my voice just watch the hearings or like read up on the hearings just do me that favor and um if you uh if you think it's a show trial you should read the g file which will be going out shortly where i take people to task for comparing um the moral atrocity of of stalinist show trials to a hearing that's going to issue get ready for a report a report uh like the hearing is the hearings are 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 are, are pretty um are pretty jaw-dropping and um and um worth paying attention to even if you don't like what they're revealing um Rob, I say, I'll, tell, I'll, tell I'll everybody about the ankler oh yeah so i'm doing uh, my world famous beloved martini shot which is a uh um i used to tell these stories on um, public radio in la for 16 years um but they were only about three and a half four minutes and then then i started doing them by myself but then i then i started doing with the ankler which is a really terrific um entertainment industry news site and Substack and a bunch, bunch of great reporters who are writing for uh, the ankler if you want to know anything that's going on in media today that's where you want to go richard rushfield who's uh, you know we've had a guest on a ricochet podcast a lot he's a great great reporter um and so i'm doing the, i'm doing it for them now and it's weird because uh they're slightly longer uh which i was really nervous about um because I'm just used to four and a half minutes. I thought was enough. Four minutes was enough. But now they're slightly longer. I mean, they're not much more than ten, but they're they're just longer than that. And I'm and I'm getting incredibly. I'm getting much. I'm, I'm getting more response from the past four weeks, five weeks. I've been doing it weekly for the anchor. So please go to the anchor and subscribe. Um, than I've ever gotten before. That I got for 16 years when I was on public radio in LA during All Things Considered. So during drive time, I mean, uh, that was a you know, they had like a million listeners, and every now and then I go to a meeting and someone would say, "Oh, I love that. I like that." But no one really. There was never any activity. Whereas now I actually get emails every week, and I've had like certain um, people who um, uh, have. Uh, there's there are people who have had. I assumed for a variety of reasons from being in show business for 30 years just didn't really ever want to work with me. In fact, had made that kind of a rule. Now we're kind of like my friends again because of <laughs> they like the podcast. There are, uh, uh, and then I, then I have like people, I have a bunch of meetings next week from people who essentially just listen to that podcast. So it, it does matter who the audience is. Um, not just how and so that's is. the, uh, that's uh, go to the, uh, go to the yeah. ankler uh, for my Richard advice Rushfield to all, and, uh, yeah. to everybody's to embrace the serpent. Yeah. 
And of course, you can you can hear me on the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Um, I do want to point out that um, Jonah, uh, <laughs> on uh, his podcast this week, began his podcast with my colleague Christine Rosen by um, by making fun of the fact, uh, according to him, that I talk too much and that I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly monologuing and uh, being huh. and all they only get to participate by by by. Um, uh, by I interrupting called, me, I called her the most euphony- euphonious punctuation mark in your monologues. Yes, <laughs> um, Jonah. Who among us? Uh, uh, Rob does this martini shot, which he writes ahead of time and uh, does for six or seven minutes. Who among us every week sits in front of a microphone by himself for roughly twelve and a half hours? And just Great. speaks. Is that me? I don't think that's me. Yeah, but Jonah, Jonah, and yet, this is a I category error. I would not I think exactly you. right. Wait, let Jonah give you explain the category error. I would not <laughs> criticize you for having a monologue podcast <laughs> where you monologue. Um, you have three people in the room who sit there like members of Kim Jong Un's advisory council. <laughs> this is this is this is an incredible injustice, and I will tell you why. Can I tell you why? Sure. Well, I mean, because, you have to tell us why. I'm not going to let everybody in behind Christine the and Noah and Abe can't tell us why. Mm-hmm. So you will have to tell us why. No, my guess is after that remnant appeared in your in your stream, Christine was disappeared. <laughs> Christine disappeared herself. Christine is off the podcast this summer because she's finishing a book. Uh-huh. So, okay. you know, um, anyway, um, I think it would tell? be fair to say that if you saw, watched us on the Zoom uh-huh. as we are doing the podcast that I am speaking, uh-huh. um, I'm often making signal gestures to try to get my colleagues to um, interrupt me and right. speak. Yeah, and no, uh, they, 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 they don't take me up on it. I'm sure they rather I'm sure Stalin encouraged Khrushchev. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, and now of you're, course. Now you're comparing me to the <laughs> show trials. Yes, oh, exactly. So okay exactly. For you to write a whole G file <laughs> on how shocking it is that anybody would compare the January 6th appearance <laughs> to the show trials. But I'm Stalin. Someone, someone's got to fair. I'm, I'm, I'm Stalin was such a wonderful your mentor. mother on this podcast, and you're calling me Stalin. He encouraged all what? of us to contribute to the conversation, but how could we when his remarks alone? Capture the spirit of the new Soviet enterprise. One can only say shout the two of you so often. The two of you make love to a microphone by yourself right. once a week. And I despise anyway. despise the petty uh, jealousies of a smaller minds. Exalt in our leader and his uh, willingness to, to to allow us to listen to him as he unspools his thoughts. Thank you very much. Uh, watch The Old Man on Hulu, by the way. Uh, first two episodes <laughs> with Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow, and it's really, nice. really good. Nice. It's a really good spy show, and it's really good. And I guess that's uh, where we're going to close, unless you guys have recommendations for people, aside from your own monologues that you like to no, deliver. We'll, that they we'll should get to, to recommendations next week. I got to hop. But, um, okay. All right. We'll talk. All right. Hey. Later. Great Americans. Thank <laughs> you.